scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Please turn in your Bibles to John 5, 1 through, I'm sorry, 1 through 17, 1 through 17. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been, um, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This can sometimes be a dangerous request, but uh, at this point in the morning, uh, though it is, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And what I want you to do in this moment is to picture yourself in the setting of this story. What noises do you hear? What do you smell? How would you feel being there? Especially if you were like this man, disabled in some way, hoping for healing, perhaps become hard-hearted over the lack of healing you had received. And perhaps that day there, feeling without hope. I invite you to open your eyes. It seems that day that the invalid found himself there in a climate of competition of who could get in the pool first to be healed. Rather than collaborate with others or celebrate their healing, he seemed to be stuck feeling sorry for himself. The good news for that man that day and the good news for us today is this. The main point of the message is that every person can be healed by Jesus in the context of community. But it doesn't happen by accident. 
and it doesn't happen without our involvement. What the story shows us in a wider way is that God gives salvation freely through Jesus Christ. But to receive salvation, a person must believe. It must be willing to receive that gift. The lame man by the pool at Bethesda had to want to be healed. Then Jesus approached him. Later, we're told, when he would re-encounter him in the temple and explain to this man that he needed to believe to receive not only the physical healing that he received that day, but to receive the spiritual healing that he needed in a much deeper way. God makes the offer, and God performs the miracle. It is all his work, but we must respond to that offer and accept it. In this way, the passage points to our need for personal response to the offer of healing and salvation that Jesus wants to give. But in a wider way, we will see in relationship to the religious leaders, it is Jesus who is on trial. Not a formal trial in a courtroom, but all the elements of trial appear in the story. A group of people are forced to make a decision. These religious leaders are forced to make a decision about Jesus in their hearts. They hear all the evidence, but they make a disastrously wrong decision. In rejecting Jesus in the way he healed this man, and even worse, to reject the claims he made in relationship with his father, these people were putting themselves in danger of judgment and missing out on the life that Jesus has to give. It begs a few questions for us. What are some of the reasons that people around us don't believe in Jesus? What are some of the factors or impediments that have have kept people from placing their faith in Christ? And what was it for you, if you are a Christ follower, that helped you put your faith in Jesus? When and how have you experienced healing in your own life or in the life of somebody else that nurtured or encouraged your faith? And what does it look like for you? to experience the deeper dimensions of God's healing of you, both physically but also spiritually through the forgiveness of sins. We need healing at a deeper level, just like this man did. And as we look at the passage today, we'll see how Jesus chose to give it to him and how he may want to give it to each one of us. The adventure of the passage starts with Jesus engaging this invalid, this man, We're told a few details. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, we are told. And it's interesting to note that Jesus got in touch with the rhythms of worship and the festivals of of the Jewish people. Like all Jewish males who were required to come to Jerusalem to attend three feasts each year, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, or also called Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus went up to Jerusalem and participated in the rhythms of life and worship. Note that it doesn't tell us which festival this was. A lot of commentators want to piece it all together to figure out how many years of active ministry Jesus actually had. Was it three? Was it four? And they try to time that by the number of particularly uh, feasts of um, Passover that he attended. The point is not so much which feast. The point is not so much here how many times Jesus went, but the fact that he went again and again. And participate in those rhythms of worship. What does that tell us? The healing of this man took place in the midst of encountering Jesus in the rhythms of worship. 
It didn't happen so much in one special setting as much as the fact that Jesus again and again was present at those times and within those rhythms. The point here, Jesus is present today. He's present in the rhythms of our worship. His ability to bring healing is always and everywhere present, and we can open ourselves to him. Secondly, we are told that Jesus went to this pool and saw an invalid lying there. This was known as the Sheep Gate Pool. It's very near that gate that comes into Jerusalem. And it was known for its uh, power or properties of healing. The Bethesda Gate and Pool, I should say, was identified as one of the twin pools that was near the present-day St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem. There would have been a colonnade on each of the four sides and another between the two pools. As some of you know, I got to go to Jerusalem just before COVID hit. (laughs) January of 2020, I came back and in the airport in San Francisco, there were warning signs about a uh, disease that people had that we were unsure of. In the the trip, and I'm going to have Dave put up some pictures, I got to see one of the ruins what remains of one of those colonnades. We got to see the, the well or pool that was thought to be still you know, present from what was there that day. And we saw the place of worship right next door. Sorry, that picture got turned. You kind of turn your head to the right like this. Just do this and then you'll see it. Uh, that's St. Anne's Church where worship takes place. Notice that. Worship of Jesus taking place in that very spot where this healing occurred, where Jesus saw the man and encountered him and where the man was healed. This pool of Bethesda then was known as a place of healing and people gathered at the water's edge hoping to be cured of their ailments. When the water was agitated or kind of ruffled, they thought that that God was present somehow and that the first person in the pool had dibs on receiving his healing. You'll note, if you look closely and follow Jonathan's reading of Scripture, you see in your insert that verse 4 of the chapter is missing. That, many believe, was added later and talked about when an angel of the Lord came down on the water, that that sort of caused a splash or caused movement within the water, and that's when healing time was beginning. We believe that that was added in later manuscripts, that it wasn't necessarily an angel of the Lord hitting the water and making a big splash, but it was that God was present. And when the waters were moving, there was the sense that God was on the move and you just might be healed if you were the first person in. We are told then that among this crowd of gathered invalids, people that were sick, in need of various types of healing, we are told that Jesus sees a man, one among many in the crowd, And I just want to comment on that, that Jesus saw this unique person. And I want to remind you that Jesus sees you. He knows your present hurts. He knows your physical ailments. He knows your relational hurts and hardships. He knows it all. And he sees you. He sees you. He sees you right where you are in your present stage of life. He knows what you've been through. He sees you, and he knows where you need healing. 
What is particularly noted about this man is that his need was a long-standing one. It wasn't just that he had a need for healing. We are told that he had been paralyzed or generally unable to walk for no less than 38 years. While we do not need to think of him having been in that same spot that whole time, it is nonetheless a sobering note that this person had been in a place of need for a very, very long time. John offers no other particular reason why Jesus should choose this man out of the crowd of sick people. But what we can say then is that Jesus acts of his own choice. We don't know why he heals one and not another a certain time. Ultimately, that's up to him. In his sovereignty, in his wisdom, and in his desire to work in each person's life in unique ways. But what we can and say again is that Jesus saw the man and he chooses to heal him. The reasons, we don't exactly know. We might ask a question then, why him? Why would Jesus choose him? But then if we ask that question, you have to ask the same question of yourself. Why you? Why would God choose you? Why would God choose me? I have no initial idea because I didn't bring anything to the table to be chosen, nor did you bring anything to the table in your own goodness or something about you that is unique from somebody else other than God chooses to love and God chose to call you into a relationship with himself. And you have that opportunity to respond to that call. God sees you, God knows you, and he calls you. This gives us a deeper glimpse into the extent of Jesus' knowledge. Jesus knew the condition of this man, how long he had suffered as an invalid. And in some sense, we can say that we all suffer to some degree from the hurts and the errors, our sins from yesterday. And in some people's experience, however, the shadow of that impact and those hurts and that hardship, whether we cause them or whether we experience them, can be particularly dark and overwhelming. Like this man by the pool, we might lie in a place emotionally or relationally paralyzed in a way, knowing we need healing, but but unable to receive it, or even maybe unable to trust that God wants to bring it. Earl Palmer would say in this incident, Jesus initiates dialogue with a man who had been at this Bethesda pool for a long time. Jesus asks him a question, do you want to be healed? Notice that the man does not necessarily even hear Jesus' question, which only needed a simple yes or no. He could have just said, yes, I want to be healed, or no, not today. Instead, he tells him the long story of his disappointment with the pool. Because when the waters had been bubbling, he had never had a chance to get into the water first. Others were always in before him. In other words, the man had a rather long list of complaints about his circumstances. Clearly, the man Jesus found lying there had made a way of life out of his long wait for healing. Jesus' question to him is perhaps quite pointed. Do you really want to get better? Or are you quite happy with where you are, eking out your days in a living, probably as a beggar, uh, in need of healing, but seeking other sources of healing? The place spoke then of the possibility of miraculous healing with the conditions of the water and the remote chance of divine healing, but it had not occurred yet for this man. 
Jesus selected then a person who seemed perhaps most needy in the crowd, and maybe that was the reason why he chose him. The man had suffered for a really long time. And it begs a question for us. In the midst of our hurts and our hardships, do we want to be healed? Or are we sort of stuck in a cycle that's become so familiar with us emotionally or physically that we no longer open ourselves up to God's ability to heal? It's been a long time, perhaps, since we've asked him for healing over some issue or difficulty, hurt, pain, physical ailment in our lives. But the invitation that is presented in the passage is a question from Jesus. Do you want to be healed? And in one sense, then we need to participate in that healing. We have to want to be healed. God isn't going to heal us apart from our desire to be healed, especially when we think about our our emotional uh, and, and need for inner healing. Do we want to be healed? Jesus is presenting that question to us in a way, and we have to wrestle with it each and every day. Is that a desire on our part to be healed? And are we willing to take the steps to receive the healing that God wants to give. I'm reminded of one of my favorite C.S. Lewis books, uh, The Great Divorce, and the experience of a man who had been in hell but took an imaginary bus ride to heaven, and he's on the frontiers of heaven, and he's encountered by an angelic creature who comes up and essentially extends an invitation to him to come into heaven and receive the life that Jesus wants to give. But the man had been uh, consumed with a demonic presence in his life that had harassed him in the shape of a red lizard that was on the man's shoulder who, who kind of constantly whispered lies into this man's ear that they shouldn't be there, that they should go back to where they were, that he didn't deserve to be there and didn't deserve to go into heaven because he had lived a, a, a sinful life. Well, the angelic creature in the story comes to the man and simply says, can I kill it? Pointing to that red lizard. The man sort of blanches and says, oh no, it's okay, you don't need to do that. (laughs) The angelic creature says, can I kill it? And the man says, no, I'm not really feeling very well today. I don't think this is the right day for it. The angelic creature says, today's like every day. The opportunity is before you. Do you want to be healed? Can I kill it? The man finally agonizingly cries out, yes. And in this moment of agony, the angelic creature lops off the lizard and removes it from the man's life. Soon he is made white, his garments are made white, and he heads off, bounding into heaven, receiving the gift of life that Jesus has to give. The question, can I kill it, is similar to Jesus' question, can I heal it? Do you want that removed? Do you want to be healed? of those long-standing hurts? Do you want to experience the new life that I have to give? Do you want to be freed from your your present rhythms of life that just aren't helpful and, and aren't in light of the life that Jesus has to give? You see, only when we admit that we need healing and are willing to receive it does Jesus impart that healing power, that miracle of salvation and eternal life. Jesus has healing and salvation to give. The question is, do we want to receive it? And then do we want to receive it in the deeper dimensions of our life where we most need it? And where we maybe previously have said that that area is off limits to God. 
I was meeting with somebody this past week, a mentee, and, and, and in our time together, I thought of Robert Boyd Munger's track, My Christ's Home, and G, the invitation of a man to Jesus to come into his heart and his life, pictured as a house. But there's an upstairs closet that is closed and locked and stinks. And Jesus says, will you let me clean that out for you? And the man has a hard time giving over that area of his life. But eventually he acquiesces. And Jesus cleans out that closet like a bunch of people cleaned out some, some places and spaces in our church yesterday to make them ready once more for ministry. After COVID had sort of closed those rooms off, there's two rooms downstairs that we reopened yesterday and cleaned up, and they're ready. They're ready to minister to kids. They're ready to minister to our cross-the-street neighbors as we invite them to come. They're made ready. That space and place has been cleared up and cleared out so that we can once again minister in Jesus' name in that space. And my question for you, are, those, are there spaces and places in the hollows of your heart that you've said are off limits to Jesus? And yet he's saying, do you want to be well? Do you want me to come in and clean that area of your heart out where that spiritual blockage is? And if we are willing, he is able. The passage continues with the the man uh, wrestling again with with Jesus' power to heal and his willingness to allow him to heal. The adventure of the invalid presents some barriers to healing. The invalid was among the disabled people and he seems to have got this sense like he's just one among many and the system is not fair. Every people are getting before me and other people have people to help them and, and he just says, I didn't, don't have any help to get into the pool. Someone else always gets in ahead of me. And what we can see is the man not only has this physical ailment of being paralyzed, I think there's a spiritual ailment where there's a sense of competition. Like there's only limited healing that God has to offer in this location. And I haven't had anybody help me to receive it. And I'm now hurt and and, and frustrated because other people get in ahead of me. The man had experienced hurts in the context of that community. But what I want to say to you when we think about our deeper needs for healing is this. The hurts that we often experience in the context of community as we bump and bruise one another in the context of human relationships, those hurts are often also healed in the context of community. In other words, if I have a conflict with somebody, I need to experience healing relationally with that person and step out in faith and reach out to them to see if they're willing to be reconciled. And in the context of community, we often experience the love and forgiveness from others that maybe we failed to receive from certain people. I remember this experience when my daughter Kylie died back in 2004 as an eight-year-old and as an invalid. Kylie never walked on earth. I believe she's dancing in heaven now. But I remember there were times where I felt disappointed by people who weren't present in Beth and I's grief. There were people that we had nurtured relationships with that for whatever reason just weren't able to be present with us on our healing journey through our grief. And I remember feeling hurt by that. But I also came to terms with the fact that some people just didn't have it in them to give and that God then sent other people, 
again and again and again, just at the right time, to be present with us in various stages of our journey, to be an avenue of God's healing in our life, and that God provided the community we needed for our healing journey through our grief. God wants us to experience healing from Jesus, but also in the context of community, where those places and spaces where our hurts have often occurred, those are the places and spaces that God wants us to bring to experience healing and recovery. And your presence here today is a sign and seal, not only that you want to encounter with Jesus, but you want to encounter Jesus in the context of community because you believe that God is at work in the context of this community and among these people. And some people in this Sanctuary today, I've shared their story of healing or deliverance, of salvation in such a way that you were lifted up and encouraged by it. And that's what happens when we gather in community. It would not surprise you that pastors experience hurts and hardships along the way of serving Jesus. It's not easy. It certainly hasn't been easy in the last couple years. But rather than separate myself from other pastors that have experienced hurts and hardships, We draw near to one another and and encourage one another, and often the healing comes in the context of those relationships with other pastors. All flawed people, like me, all pastors who fall short on a regular basis, but all who can gather together and say, God is still with you, God is still at work. Maintain hope. The problem for this man is I think he had lost hope. And instead of holding out hope for for healing through God and through uh, this location, it seems to be a portrait of a depressed and, and totally discouraged person. He's become totally captive to his negative feelings about his situation, and he's unable really to even hear Jesus' question. He doesn't answer yes or no. He goes into a long list of what had happened. His answer is a complaint really about the injustice of the system, which has kept him from entering the pool. And unless Jesus had interrupted and said, get up, take up your mat and walk, the man might have gone into a lengthier explanation of how they should have set up a system where people had numbers, and when your number's called, like at the DMV, you get your turn at the desk, and you get to, you know, your now 16-year-old son gets to take his permit test after you've been waiting there for an hour or so. We still run into dysfunctional systems today, and I am not throwing the DMV under the bus. It's just the example that popped in my head in the moment. But we all have those experiences where it feels like there's injustice, and we haven't received our due, or haven't been picked at the right time, or, you know, and, and that other people have somehow shorted us, or, 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 or negatively perceived us, or received us. But in those situations, what does it do? It becomes an opportunity to receive healing from the one who really has to give it and to let go of the injustices and the hurts and the hardships because we've all experienced them and allow God to touch those spaces and places in our hearts where we most need to be touched. When was the last time you actually said to Jesus, yes, I want to be healed? I no longer want to complain about the injustice of it all. I no no longer want to blame other people because we've all had a part in whatever it is. I actually want to be healed, and I actually believe that you can bring me that healing. And I actually want to prayerfully receive that healing. 
What I love about the story is Jesus finds this man. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus found Nathaniel. The last few weeks, we saw how Jesus found Nicodemus. How Jesus found the woman at the well. And again, the Greek word behind that word found, when it says Jesus found this man, is a Greek word, eurisko, which, as I said a few weeks ago, is our background for the word eureka. I found it, like gold. Jesus found the man, and he helps him uncover what was there but had been lost. The man, ultimately, is healed. And the adventure here that continues, Jesus heals the man. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And what I love about this is not only that Jesus found the man and brings healing to that specific man, what I also love is the word for get up is actually the same word that is used when Jesus says to Lazarus, get out of the tomb. He's saying, get up. Leave behind your life of sin and death. Get up. I will raise you up. And ultimately, what this is pointing forward in Mark's, excuse me, John's unfolding narrative is the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And just as he will be raised from the dead, he will raise us also. And his ability to raise this man on that day was a point forward to the reality that he is able to raise up all who place their faith and trust in him. Sadly, many are on the sidelines watching in this instance, opposed to the adventure of Jesus healing this man. Instead of receiving the gift of healing in their presence, having their faith ignited or strengthened through the experience, they instead say, who is this man who said, take up your mat and walk? Shouldn't have been today that he healed you. He didn't follow the rules. We have regulations here. We have order And this guy just broke it, and you just broke it by getting your mat and walking. Well, unless the guy was a furniture mover, and I don't think so, he wasn't really working that day. He was just responding to the gift of healing that Jesus had to offer and rejoicing that he had been found. And today, whatever you have going on in your heart, in your life, I want to remind you that you can be found by Jesus today that he sees you, that he knows you, and that I believe he can heal you. Sometimes that doesn't happen physically right when we want it. My prayers for my daughter's healing on earth were never answered in the way I hoped, but they actually have been answered. She's been freed from her disabilities. She's now in heaven, and again, probably talking people's ears off in ways she never was able to on earth, maybe dancing in ways that she was never able to do here. But she has experienced healing. And the good news for people like you and like me is we can experience healing too. The adventure comes when we accept Jesus and his healing and salvation. And that we trust that Jesus and the Father are always working. They don't take time off. They're always at work in our hearts and our lives seeking to bring healing and renewal and new life. The question is, are we willing to receive it? Later in the passage, Jesus would say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Anyone who hears my word and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. Jesus is saying that he possesses life and the power to create and the power to renew life. The question is, again, do you want to be healed? Or maybe you've already forgotten the ways you were already healed already. 
Maybe Jesus did an amazing work of healing in your life and renewal of life, but you've forgotten that, and so you're not trusting him in your present need for healing in your life. But I truly believe that if he's healed us of those hurts and hardships and physical needs in the past, can't he not do that today? And if he healed the paralytic that day, and he's still present and available to us this day, then that means today's the day of salvation. And today's the day of healing. We only have to be open to it and receive it. And to answer, yes, I want to be healed. As we prepare our hearts for communion and celebrating the communion that Jesus and the Father had in heaven, which touched down on earth and was renewed in heaven when Jesus went back, I want us to pause for a moment. Again, close your eyes. You can picture yourself in that scene again. And I want you to hear Jesus' question Do you want to be healed? Consider what it is you need to be healed from or through. And on three, if this is true of you today, I'm just going to invite you to say yes. I want to be healed. One, two, three. Yes, I want to be healed. You're my 